Hi friends, I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. We're live. With a new shiny mic, somebody. I was going to say with a new mic, but most people will already know that because we are recording this episode in advance, and it's technically the first time I'm recording on this mic, but it's not going to be the first time everybody's hearing me on this mic, so. True story. We're doing a little bit of a jumble the next couple of weeks with our episode with the exciting migration of us working with... 604 podcast we are going to have to have a few episodes recorded in advance which is new to us so our timeline's a little messed up we're just like the movie jumper right now or whatever it is i have to like put myself in the mindset that i'm recording in the future yeah when this episode comes out it'll almost be my birthday happy birthday that's so exciting i love that for you my little aquarius princess I know. Again, if anyone out there reads uh, birth charts, I am like Aquarius, 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 like nothing else. Which is so crazy to me. I need to know what this means. I have Libra, Gemini, Libra, but I'm not a triple Libra. Yeah, I'm a triple Aquarian. And I think it's got to mean something cool, but everybody that you talk to is like, Aquariuses are weird. And we're like, yeah, we are. So am I just like weird cubed i actually follow a girl on instagram who follows our podcast that i could ask about that because she's really into like tarot and all that kind of stuff clairvoyance if you will you should ask her if she wants to have an episode and talk about our birth charts with us that would be ridiculously fun and 10 out of 10 i'm happy to ask her Uh uh-huh well steph for the record it's my episode this week so you're gonna have a little time that's true. I will. Steph. I don't know who you are, but I heard your name is Steph. Steph's really cool and awesome. And I only know her from Instagram. I like her but already. I still you know those people that you like followed on Instagram for years and years and years and you just like feel like they're your friend? I feel like she's yep. my friend. Heather Ashley, yes. Yeah, okay, Heather Ashley for you. There you go. Yeah, I just feel like we're we're friends and and I love that for me. Yeah, I'll just I'll just shoot her a message. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. This week, though, is a uh, Katie's covering the case this week, but we actually had both started researching this. <laughs> it was a case suggestion, and we, I, I mean, I had like half notes, and then you said you wanted to cover it, so I just kind of like passed them along. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to hear this one today. It's a sad, yeah, and I think sad. We both, well, I think we both had the doubts that there wasn't enough information. But yes, I know what you're about to say. It was a sad, sad story, and it mm-hmm. is. And that's why I was like, I'm just going to dig and find enough to make an episode out of this because I want to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's super messed up. And it's a tough one because the family and the community seem to, and even local authorities to a small percentage, say that they're confident they're, they know who did it. Yeah. But there's not enough to do anything about it yeah um and it's really really frustrating so we'll get to that absolutely we will i'm also recording in a new location so if you hear everyone in my house oh you set up a new station i'll know for next week 
I actually eliminated my old station, so right now I'm figuring it out. Oh my goodness. We're back to the bedroom recording, everyone. Well, I don't work from home anymore, so having a full workstation at home with minimal space seemed silly when half the time I move my computer around to edit, so why can't I record at just a seated, comfortable place? I can make it work. That's Nobody fair. cares about this and my living arrangements. Yeah, I care. Well, I know you too, but I could tell you offline. <laughs> hey man, there's lots of little things like that that go into podcasting. I think some people would find that interesting. Like, you can't just sit down anywhere and record this because there's noise in the background. Mm-hmm. If your partner is watching TV, like, the mic will pick up everything. So I think that it's a great insight into what it's like to try and make a podcast. Because we yeah. both started this podcast, like, in our bedrooms. I remember I didn't even have a chair. I had to buy a laptop. Oh, God. she! For anyone who's been here since the beginning, her chair, that, like... Yeah. <laughs> my chair was so squeaky, I had to, like, so get in position so that I was comfortable enough to sit for an hour without even, like, breathing. Because if I even kind of moved, <laughs> my whole chair would squeak and then Katie would get mad. And then... My laptop, there was something it wasn't good enough to podcast on, so I had to buy a new laptop. It's a lot of work. You you really can't just, like, sit down and do it. Yeah, I mean, we were fortunate enough that, yes, we did still just, of course, buy the stuff and sit down and do it, but we learned a lot really fast. Yeah, we've learned a lot, so <laughs> welcome back, though. Welcome back to the show, and uh, that's it. Anything else new with you? Not really. I'm riding horses again, and I'm figure skating again, and this year I'm really just, like, diving into my little inner child, and that's been fun. I love that, mainly because when I just went on my little road trip to Alberta, I bought skates, and I went skating, and I had such a good time. And now everyone in my family keeps going, yeah, you used to love skating, and I'm like, oh. I didn't well. remember. I just, I guess I forgot. Life got busy. I became an adult. I don't know. We are going to Banff and well, by the time this episode goes up, we're going, we'll be going to Banff in a couple of weeks. And, uh, I remember as a child, one of my like bucket list items was skating (laughs) on like an outdoor lake specifically. Cause I've kind of skated on like an outdoor rink. Not really, but does Bouchard Gardens in Victoria count? I I was going to say, if you're from Canada or BC... You've probably skated on some type of little dinky outdoor thing. But I've never skated on, like, a legitimate lake. And so Amazing. we are going to do that in Banff. And I, my inner child is screaming. So, yeah, I'm really excited about that. But otherwise, no. I love that you guys are doing these, like, exciting childish activities together because oh. we're doing them right now and i just know how much fun we're having yeah we're having so much fun brandon wants to go bowling like he's like legitimately joined the league and bowl <laughs> okay and i, I love have that. joked about joining a bowling league too yeah we're really just doing any activity that speaks <gasps> to our soul which i think i would highly recommend to everyone it's really fun how far of a drive is it for you to nanaimo 30 minutes depending on where in Nanaimo if you know Nanaimo at all you know that it's like a 25 minute stretch of a city it's ridiculous <laughs> she vast if I drive from like um, Victoria to Qualicum Beach for example for anybody that like alley in Nanaimo oh yeah there's a few <gasps> what if we all joined a league in Nanaimo Stop. 
one night a week we all meet to bowl we'll talk about it brandon would be very into that though for sure brandon hit me up anyways no also, other uh, i sent him a cute video the other day and i don't even think i got a reaction he's really bad at replying Terrible. I don't need to reply. I just want him to laugh at it. Right? It's not that hard to la- they like, like the internet makes tap. it so easy to like half-ass react to people's messages nowadays. Old he- people accidentally react to shit daily, and you can't purposely react. Yeah, he's just really bad at it. He'll because he looks at I'm it and he's kidding. like, "Oh, ha, cute," and then he does something else, and then he'll forget. <laughs> As do we all. Okay. Well, anyway, let's get into today's case. Yeah, let's do it. Um. I don't think there's any other housekeeping. No. If you want to get in touch with us anywhere, find us anywhere at Podcast by Proxy. Podcast by Proxy at gmail.com. If you want to send something that's lengthy or convoluted, send it there. Like maybe a case suggestion with links. We love it. Yeah, follow us on Instagram for case updates, case posts, at Podcast by Proxy. You can join Patreon for bonus episodes, which there will be one. There should have been one already this month by the time this goes up, but there will be one, like, more bonus episodes going forward, just with some changes that we're making to Patreon. You can see all of that on patreon.com slash podcastbyproxy. But yeah, I I think we're ready to get into it for sure. Agreed. So I'm going to tell this story in kind of two ways, because a lot of the information I gathered actually wasn't from the news it was from his two grandmothers and they had slightly different relationships and memories um, one of which lived out of town and one of which was um, local and a lot closer and had a bit more in-depth detailed information okay 16 year old jonathan bruce from fort st john was going to a local motocross track that was closed for the season due to snow to meet up with some local guy friends, have a pretty normal, typical teenage evening. Yeah, and as we know, Fort St. John is in northern BC. We talked about Fort St. John in our episode covering the crimes of Cody Lejibakov. Yeah, we've actually talked about Fort St. John in a few cases. Um, Also, more so in our first year. I believe we had a few from Fort St. John. Um, Again, back in the archives when we were bedroom recording... (laughs) I was going to say, most of those episodes are on Patreon only. You cannot access them on the main feed, but they are all available on Patreon. Anything we take down um, does go up there if for whatever reason you're inclined (laughs) to listen to that. True. Uh, I think, like us, Fort St. John is a pretty small town. Kids are doing things out and about. Just hanging out with friends you get a lot of freedom when you live in a small town because there isn't a lot to do mm-hmm. yeah and so. like it's a rig town there's a lot of people from out of town totally. that are there working on the oil rigs and things like mm-hmm. that so it's like very much a working town i think the amount of people that are actually from fort St. john is quite a bit smaller than exactly yeah. and that means that the school demographics are also quite small mm-hmm. um so a lot of the kids from all the same grade know each other all the parents know the kids it's just the kind of town it is Jonathan is described as being active. He loved the outdoors. He was fun, loving, intelligent, and vibrant. Anything with a motor, he was obsessed with. We'll get more into that in a minute, but he has a twin brother, Nicholas, and a sister, Christina. Um, Following a lot of these tragedies, um, Nicholas's life has just been kind of thrown off the rails. 
Um, and I'll explain a bit more of that as we get into his part of the timeline, but his life will never be the same. Yeah. A lot of the discussions that come out from his grandma's are also trying to find answers so that Nicholas can get closure to be able to try to start to heal because he is supposedly a shell of who he used to be since this day. I think I remember that from, was it the nighttime podcast? I didn't listen to the whole nighttime podcast, mainly because it was the exact same content as another podcast I listened to. Mm -hmm. I did three different ones. But yes, in the nighttime as well, I believe it's her grandma Sandra explains that Nicholas, um, well, I'll tell you a little bit about his adult life, but as of the day this happened, he, everything about him changed. His personality, his like will to live. His ability to function day to day. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. <clears throat> I can't imagine losing a sibling in general. I mean, I only have one sibling, but I can't imagine losing him in this kind of a horrific way. I think it's just a whole not other level when it's a twin. twin. Yeah. Especially exactly. if you're close, right? That's not to say yeah, that I all mean, twins are super close, but it sounds like they no. were. And if you are, I think it's just like a, it's a separate bond that, People without a twin just can't even understand. And yeah, it's like probably mm-hmm. like losing a complete <clears throat> half of yourself. Yeah. Right. Agreed. Because that's like part. I think that that could be like a part of your identity as well, that you're a twin. And all of a sudden you're like you are, yeah. but they're gone. And I think, too, that there is the element of, like you said, it's rare that twins don't get along or have a relationship. And you're right. They like, a lot of them, I think, like the identifier as a twin. When you are close to your twin, you love that. Yeah, so it's like, when you have, have a have twin, you have like, you. you have a person from birth. Like, that's your person from birth. Again, I'm not a twin. Friend. I have no, I can't I've speak to this to at all. Twin. It's just, yeah, I, I think it's fascinating. <laughs> and I, I, the bond that twins share is just crazy to me. It's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It's freaking incredible. No, yeah, I agree. It's cool. One thing that the sentiment that Nicholas did say, though, to his grandma, like, immediately after, was acknowledging that he's never going to be able to celebrate another birthday with his brother. Yeah. So he was never going to look forward to his birthday again. Imagine being 16 and feeling like in the drop of a hat, you no longer care about your birthday. Yeah. It's just such a big thing at 16, I, I think. I was going to say, so, like, yeah. powerful to say, like, what? Yeah, if you've, like, if you always enjoyed your birthday, 16 is definitely not an age that you're starting to not enjoy your birthday. So No, you're wanting a car. And again, it just speaks to, like, that twin, that twin relationship and the fact that, you know, those are all things that he shared with his brother that he's probably too sad and, you know, the trauma is too deep to really dive into those things yeah. again right now. If you acknowledge those holidays, you also have to acknowledge that you're doing them alone. Mm-hmm. At 12 years old, he said he knew more about cars than most people double his age and that he was confident that he could keep his mother's car running for the life of the vehicle with just a wrench. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I love and the confidence. the emphasis on just a wrench. Yeah, I love the confidence. Due to his love of mechanics and his, like, natural ability, his whole family called him the Fixer. 
he was just like, imagine the dad in the family that everyone takes their car to, but instead it's the 16-year-old who's like, bring it around back and I'll fix it up for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he had a very shirt-off-his-back attitude, so anything that needed done, anyone that needed a hand, he was the first one to just step up and say, I'll do it. And he was this super adorable, like, little blonde, hockey-haired... He did not look 16 He's to really me. cute. Yeah. He's adorable. Yeah, he looks oh. a little bit younger. He's got blonde hair. He's really cute. So cute. Like, yeah. swept to the side. Yeah. Looks like he's just, like, kind of a cool kid. Oh, yeah, I got for cool sure. vibes from him. Yeah, cool kid vibes um, all yeah. around. Through yeah. and through. So he was going to ride ATVs, as we mentioned, with at least one other male that we know of, potentially other friends. Again, his mother knew he was going to hang out with the one buddy, but had mentioned that other people might show up. This evening, at immediate results, we find that he sustained a severe head injury and was found uh, missing multiple items, including a Rockstar wallet, multicolored Burton jacket, and a blue iPod touch. The reason that we know he was there at the track missing these items was because there was an anonymous call that came in advising that something was happening at the track. There was like a ruckus there and something going on and to check it out. And they hung up. Okay. Completely anonymous call. Now, originally when Kelly, his mother was in the car with him as he was driving with his new learner's permit to go to this friend's house. She had raised concerns. She knew that the friend he was going to hang out with was just, had a bit of a violent streak, like a little bit of a, let's say a hairpin temper. And she knew this going into it, but she trusted her son. They thought they're just going ATVing and despite her gut feeling, she said goodbye to him and she headed back home. And moms just know, though. They do. They just know, you know. Trust that mom gut. I remember my mom just, like, not liking or having a feeling or whatever about a certain, like, couple people that Did I your was... mom ever say, keep an eye on that one? Yeah, or, like, she was a lot more, like, outward about it. She really didn't um, keep her feelings very hidden from me about anything. But yeah, same. But at the time, you're like, oh, mom, like, they're totally fine. I don't know what you're talking about. And then later in life, you're like, oh. I get it. Oh, you saw the manipulation games those crazy teenage girls were just using. like bad behavior or yeah, anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Moms know. Yeah. So from the Pretty Scary podcast uh, with hosts Adam and Carrie, they had his maternal grandmother on, Sandra Dante, and she said that Jonathan would always call her the gramster, like when she did something cool or good. And she loved it because it made her feel like she fit in, like, because we said he was kind of a cool kid. And she was like, it just made me feel so special when he was like, the Gramster. <laughs> like, she just loved it. As we mentioned, she went into great detail about his love for sports, the outdoors, living a lively life, as well as his obsession with mechanics. <laughs> And she went on to explain that at 11 years old, he also had to get a special helmet built to be able to weld because his head was so small. And that terrified her that they were letting him weld. They were like, just 
Just make him wear a real helmet. If he doesn't fit it, make him wait. Like, don't let him weld. Oh, that's cute. He had like a little wee welding helmet made. Go little rock star. Right? I love it. He had a rock star wallet. He drank three energy drinks. I bet he did. He liked And he had a monster hat, I believe. (laughs) So. She went on to recount this story shortly after Kelly had mentioned that she was uncomfortable with this visit and this hangout, and he just wanted to go and help that this kid make friends. Oh. Jonathan could see that he didn't really fit in, and he kind of said something along the lines of, like, if I don't hang out with him, no one will, but if I hang out with him, everyone will. So he was, like, just doing it to try to help this kid fit in better. Because I think he under, yeah, and I think even he saw that he could maybe be a bit angry and violent, but he saw the good in him and just wanted to make him fit in and thought maybe he could help. Yeah, he was just trying to, like, be a good influence and get him a social circle and make him feel included, which was so wholesome. Like, admirable. So cute and wholesome and admirable and, like, just, like, what a good, what a good 16-year-old. Well, of all the terrible 16-year-olds that you hear about and the bullying and all that. This one redeemed himself. What an angel. Well, he redeemed, he never, like, he didn't need to redeem himself. He just, like, redeemed 16-year-olds. He redeemed 16-year-olds, but... <laughs> sorry, yeah, yes. Like... And he was, like, a little hustler. His, him and, like, a little group of his friends, his grandma told this story where they, like, each took their lawnmowers from home and they went around and started, like, a little lawn mowing business because they wanted to get new dirt bikes and he ended up raising like four thousand dollars in a year. Wow, like Amazing. four thousand dollars. Yeah, that's awesome. But I guess if you live in an el- like a neighborhood with people who are too busy or elderly, like killing it, boys, get those dirt bikes. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the evening, Jonathan's done quadding, ATVing. He calls his mom, but it's already past his curfew because he lost track of time. His mom says, like, you're past curfew. You're on your own. Find your own way home when he calls. Like, figure um, it out he, kind of thing. Yeah, like, you're a 16-year-old boy. You think, like, get your own ass home. I remember my mom saying that to my brother. Get your own ass home. It's what it was. He made a few other phone calls to friends that had full licenses and other family members, but between people not picking up or just not being available to do so, he could not find a ride. Now, a lot of from here forward is speculation and what his grandma's account of the events are, because again, no one has been charged in this crime. There is someone who is suspected of committing it. I will provide the name later and at the end, because I was able to cross-reference it with an article where police have stated in a media outlet that he's also was a suspect in this. Okay. okay. Had it only been the family mentioning it, I probably would not have said his name for privacy reasons. Yeah. And, like, legal um, reasons. We don't need to get sued. Exactly, yeah. We're not looking to get sued, people. It's the opposite not of at our all. goal here. Yeah. So Sandra believes that due to the lack of ride... And it being well below zero temperatures. That Jonathan took the quad that belonged to the friend and just said, like, I'll get it back to you in the morning. I'm past curfew. I'm running late. Let me just rip home. And this is what caused an argument at the scene. 
Okay. Because he was upset that Jonathan was going to be taking his quad and kind of saw red is what his grandma suspects. And that some type of assault ensued, possibly Jonathan being on the quad and going to take off and being attacked. Again, we do know he had blunt force trauma to the head. So was he attacked from behind while getting on the quad? We don't know. There's a lot of information that's left. I was going to say, basically from here forward is um, for the public on like speculation and like we can try and put the pieces together that we know, but that's not always. Nope. That's not always the best option. And this is where we need everyone's help. Yeah, 100%. Like this is what we think happened. And at the end, I will give you the number to the police or Crime Stoppers. And if this is incorrect or you can fill any gaps, like, please reach out because this case is so solvable. I was going to say, this is one of those cases where it's going to be word of mouth and it's going to be somebody Mm -hmm. finally cracks and says something like 16 year old kids don't keep secrets. Sorry. They just, they just don't, they don't keep things to themselves. They don't tell everybody. He told somebody this, whoever did this told somebody. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's why we're here to talk about it. Totes my goats. So as we said, due to the snow, his grandma thinks there's no way he would have walked. So the quad seems like the most viable option for him to have gotten out of there. Mm -hmm. As we mentioned, the fight possibly broke out. He got attacked. Um, There is CCTV footage also of the boys accessing the track, the two of them. We only see one of them leave the track. I was going to say, I did remember reading that, that the footage that the shows one. two going in and one coming out. And if that's not telling enough, I don't know what it is. Yeah. At the time of this first interview with Sandra, we were six years following the attack with no progress. All the other kids in question, his local community and friends had submitted their phones without question and the few who were asked also gave up their computers. The suspect, who is the friend that he was visiting that night, or the kid who he was hanging out with. Yeah. I wouldn't call him a friend. The person whose house he was at that evening <laughs> was immediately questioned after it mm-hmm. took place. Um, but when police went shortly after to follow up with him, he had lawyered up already. So he had lawyered up within, I would say, about 36 hours following the incident because he was questioned the day of. By the next day on follow-up, he was no longer able to be questioned by authorities. Okay. It is to note the family... Sorry, can I clarify one point? So he lawyered up after his first interview with police. Like, police tagged him as a suspect and said, we want to have a conversation with you, and then he lawyered up? Or was he already lawyered up before they approached him? No. So what it seems like, well, it's not what it seems like. What it is is he wasn't lawyered up right as, because the track is right next to this guy's house as well. Okay. So they went and talked to him knowing he was the last person with Jonathan. So that was, I believe, the first interaction. He was not a suspect. I think he was a person of interest. They just When they went back to follow up with him. Okay. He was lawyered up. That's interesting. Yeah. I think he caught a whiff of the energy at the first questioning. Once Kelly had said, well, I dropped him off here to go quadding with this kid. Mm-hmm. Maybe go ask him. Mm-hmm. And then based on the police's question type and the interaction, he immediately lawyered up. And his family has 
a good amount of money and is quite, I wouldn't necessarily say powerful in the community. Um, they're quite good at intimidating people. Right. Like powerful enough. Influential. Influential enough. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Like well known enough. And like you said, probably intimidating slash like a bully type situation where people are just scared yes yeah as we said there's six years with no progress but during the six years as we said nicholas's world has stopped yeah during this six-year period he has not graduated high school he hasn't been able to hold down a job for more than a two-week period based on just his varying degrees of issues that he has taken on with this level of grief he's sustained um his grandma went as far as saying i truly believe that nicholas was murdered that day as well oh that she feels like she lost both her grandsons the day of the incident because nicholas has never been the same right so he did have a baby girl recently though nicholas So that's a positive. It's a little light of life in there to be positive about. And his grandma says that um, she's been wonderful for him. However, no matter what happens in the family, Kelly, his mother, cannot maintain proper health. She's been broken since that day. She is a petite woman. However, in her 40s right now, she is about 90 pounds. She struggles day to day with just functioning and living, which I don't doubt. I don't know how people lose children. No, like, and, I don't know that feeling. And and I think that the, the layer of not knowing or knowing and not being able to do anything about it and there being no justice. Like mm-hmm. whenever I listen to victims of um, true crime, like their families speak, it, they, all, they feel like time stood still. Like, it's been six years, but it it hasn't. It's like it happened for us yesterday, and, like, we are stuck in this, like, time capsule of hell. And that's, you know, that does a number on your physical health. Um, So it's just really sad, and I would love to see justice served in this case because it feels so solvable. Like, how many cases have we seen go to trial based on something like video surveillance? Yeah. I can think of multiple that we've covered that there has been at least been progress over something like video surveillance. A thousand percent. And again, I think there's an added level of frustration with this because they truly believe they know who did it. Yeah. It's not such, it's like an unknown, but it's not. Yeah. Again, like, yeah. As mentioned, I was going to get into the suspect. Um,. I didn't really want to give him the time of day, but given that this is unsolved and we are looking for that needle in a haystack piece of information. Well, like you said, if if there's like an article or there's something out there where the police have actually named this person, it's not Mm -hmm. off the table for us to discuss it. Like that is something that we can discuss. If it's public record, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Well, reading through another article about this person, uh, it is mentioned. They said that he was also uncharged, but he was a suspect in the murder of his friend at the age of 16 and it quotes his name and yeah okay yeah he's listed so i am a-okay with ad advertising his name as a potential yeah 
So to this day, Jonathan's grandma still believes that the quote-unquote friend of his, Daryl Dowd. Let's call him just the person that he was with that night. I don't think we need to call Dowd him a friend. from now on. We're just going no, to call him the person that Jonathan was with that night. Not a friend, because yeah. friends don't do this. The person whose claw Allegedly. Jonathan was using. Dowd was very familiar with police. They had a on-again, off-again relationship, we'll say. In early 2022, he was busted for a string of theft and mischief. All were theft under five grand, but there were multiple, one after another. So, as thought the same as um, Jonathan's other grandma, Judy, Judy believes that Jonathan was attacked and then just left for dead. He didn't care about him. There was no concern. He just snapped. Attacked Jonathan. Supposedly dragged his body after severely beating him. Into a gully off to the side of the motocross track. So there was also an afterthought to move the body. He dragged him. So would In we the not process, have, Jonathan lost a shoe. Would we not have any physical DNA? Or because you went in a gully, the water would have washed it? Well, there was excessive snow, so I think evidence would have just frozen. I wonder, too, if because they were on, like, a quad, he was wearing gloves. They probably had gloves. That's what I thought, too, because I kind of had the same thought. I was like, why isn't there DNA? But you got to think, at the time, it was, like, well into the below double digits. Yeah, I mean, Like, it was negative 23, so you would have had, like, a balclava, your ski mask, gloves, everything. Yeah. You'd be covered. I mean, I wear gloves right now to go out horseback riding, and it's not that cold, but I'm still going I gonna. wear gloves all day at work. So, yeah, no, yeah. I didn't I didn't think of that. I was just thinking out loud. No, I, I had the same thought, but then I had to remind myself of the temperature and the conditions, and yes, I think heat of the moment, if these are two kids that have just hopped off quads and they get into this fight, mm-hmm. I think that potentially... Dowd picked up something nearby, whether it be a rock or a stick or a log, because we have limited information, and attacked him. And then potentially, I hate to say it because we know he was severely beaten, possibly kicked him or hit him while he was already on the ground. Yeah. So, it's a difficult one. Um... Jonathan's mother and family were completely, like, flabbergasted when over a thousand people in such a small town showed up to his memorial, though. And to this day, they continue to show up um, through support with the community involvement. Um, Upwards of 60 of his friends every year meet his family just before the Canada Day weekend. They help make t-shirts and hats to raise awareness for Jonathan's case still. They then go on to decorate a full float and like, volunteer every year since this happened to man the float and take responsibility for it. Um, And it says even for the float, there's, like, upwards of 60 people that show up every year to make sure his family's supported. That's amazing. To ensure that the awareness still is raised. Yeah, his grandma said, like, it's rare that six years after anyone dies that 60 people want to show up and put in physical labor for them. Yeah, so true. And I agree. Especially since, like... The media coverage dies down so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only friends and family and, you know, 
things like covering the case today on the podcast that are going to keep it alive. So it's so important and it's so great to see that he obviously had so many people that disaffected. Yeah, his friends got together too and raised like $1,000 to get a community bench put in. Mm-hmm. So every year on Jonathan's birthday, they meet there and smoke a joint. Yeah. Like just, they're so committed to their friend. Well, it's like the case that we covered no last week what. with Carrie Ann Brown and like her friends, yeah. the, the kids at the school raising that money for a bursary in her name that's still that's running shocking. today. And like, that's, you know, you don't. You don't always see that with teenagers, and so it's it's incredible yeah. to see that they were able that they're able to come together every year, and that you know at least well, it speaks volumes. They could be the there for each other. They were mm-hmm. that their fans want to show up for them still. Yeah. One of the hardest parts about this that I learned, I think, for me after the fact was. When this happened, Nicholas actually wasn't in Fort St. John, so he wasn't even there when it happened. He was staying with one of his grandmas in Surrey. She had recently had surgery, and because she needed a lot of round-the-clock care, IVs being cleaned out, set up, everything, like, you name it. This was upwards of 24 hours a day for three months, so Nicholas went to stay with her, and her and Jonathan even talked about maybe switching out halfway through halfway through just so that way they could get like the experience and it wasn't too overload on one of them mm-hmm. um yeah their family was just so proud that both boys were like we'll step up for grandma we'll take care of they her they sound like such good boys like, like for the being best. 16 years old i know i keep saying that i just feel like 16 is a tough age and they just seem so sweet and wholesome and like family oriented, like they just care so much about their family and it's so cute and nice to see. They were also just like really polite and cordial and kind to their mom, it sounds like too. So when their mom called to like tell them what had happened, like completely out of character, apparently Nicholas just started like screaming into the phone and cussing at his mom and like literally like immediately just lost it yeah there was no shock there was no freezing his grandma said she just heard him snap wow with like every emotion that could come out came out and he just the language that came out of him it was just they said it wasn't nicholas yeah that's heartbreaking yeah after the 17 hour drive home Cassandra packed up all her medical gear quickly in all these suitcases. She said that her and Nicholas were useless for packing. So, like, her boyfriend had, like, come over, found a suitcase, and, like, put a bag together for them and was like, go. Yeah. But she said that by the time she got back to Fort St. John, because, again, it was, like, minus 32 that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, winters are pretty her- up there. No, all of her IV bags had frozen, so she then had to go find the resources again in town because now she's there to support her daughter, and she wants Nicholas to be with his mom and his sister Christina. So she's gotten all the way back there, frozen medical supplies just in this super traumatic time, and this family is just so strong the way they come together. Once Sandra got back after the drive and got kind of stable with her condition after her surgery again 
She learns that Jonathan had, as we said, been severely beaten. And this is where she learns that there was so much intent with the missing shoe, knowing that he had been dragged to a gully off to the side to delay being found, especially with the wherewithal that the track was closed for the winter. She believed that whoever had put him there believed he wouldn't be found for a long time. Right. Like potentially until the seasons changed kind of thing. However, seeing that he had no coat, no hat, and missing a shoe, they knew that certain materials of his had been removed or taken, so they were also on the lookout for these items. The hat did reappear in photos taken from within Dowd's father's shop on his property. It's mentioned that he, oh, he took it off to put a helmet on to go quadding, which is believable. Um... When yeah. his father, though, returned the hat to Kelly a few days later, once they knew it was there, apparently it was like a flat brim hat and all of Jonathan's hats were like mint condition, like clean. He was like, kind of like how some people are with their sneakers about his hats. And this was like bent and muddy and dirty, almost implying that it had been brought back from their fight. And was this ever taken by the police into evidence? Because the fact that it was the even last able account I, to just yeah. be passed from this house to the victim's family, not that I don't think the victim's family should get their belongings back, but, like, they where is... Want it. There is such thing as a chain of custody, like, where this mm-hmm. investigation... Where... What? So that's where I have a big question mark. Everything that I've heard from the grandmas says that he tried to return it and Kelly left it at. She didn't want it because that's not how Jonathan kept his things. That was no longer, like, she didn't want it. I don't know if she still took it and gave it over to police saying she didn't want it or what had happened with it. Every account just says Kelly goes on saying she did not want the hat in that condition. Right. And I guess so my if, hope is the police have it, and that's what they're using now moving forward. However, but now it's been transferred hands. It might be. Yeah, useless. I guess I can see why it was originally not taken from the house by police because that wasn't if they weren't allowed in there because of the lawyer, and they didn't have enough evidence to get like a search warrant or something. They wouldn't be able to just like go in and grab the hat and take it as evidence mm-hmm. because there is not technically a crime scene at that point. However, I, I think it's shady. However, I really hope that that hat somehow ended up with the police because that seems like a big piece of evidence. I mean, yes, you're right now it's been passed and the if there is any evidence on it of any kind, um, it's potentially tainted. But like that seems like something that we should be bagging up and looking at. Agreed. That's so frustrating. Percent. Oh, my goodness. I'll, I just think it's kind of shady, though, that, like, once it was spotted in a police photo, then Dowd's dad returned it to Kelly. So it's almost like the follow-up would be more difficult as well. It just felt like creating an obstacle. That was all. Yeah. But again, it, it makes perfect sense. He took off his hat to put on a helmet. So. But then why is the hat all dirty? If it was dirty. Again, we've never seen a photo of this hat. We don't know what it looks like. Agreed. A, a lot of what we're discussing right now it has air quotes allegedly and supposedly and speculatory around it. 
Um, yeah, a lot of this was from a fly on the wall in the form of these two grandmothers that were there throughout this whole process to support mm-hmm. these families or gave the information. And yeah. it's like, yes, they were there, but we also have to keep in mind this was a very heightened time of emotion for this whole family. And it's a lot of moving parts going on. And interacting with the police can be stressful. Absolutely. Yeah. On a small scale. Yeah. So I couldn't imagine having to work with them for something like this. So a few members of Jonathan's family and a few of his friends have recently had to step back from participating in the parade and the fundraising and the community involvement due to public threats that have been made in different forms. Yeah. What kind of public threats? Sorry, there I'm aware. Have been no anonymous. Bo- yeah, there's been anonymous threats to family members and people close to him. Um, that they would be injured, their houses would be set on fire, there would be violence surrounding them. If they continued to advocate for their own loved yes. one's unsolved yes. murder case. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. wonder who that's from. My thoughts exactly, but... I'm almost done anyway, because again, I was definitely like really reaching for information here, Um, but to end on a more positive note, just because his grandmother, Judy, uh, lived more out of town or in a different area and she had kind of those like concentrated visits where you do really fun things and you have really good memories. Everyone knows what I mean when they go visit their grandmas or grandpas. Yep. I have so she, grandparents that lived close by that I visited all the time, and then I had a grandparent that lived not that far away, but like an hour to two hours away, and so... Like, you just had to put in a bit more effort to dip, see them. Yeah, the, well, the visits are definitely different, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They're a little more quality compared to quantity, and not in a negative that the others are bad, it's just... There's a familiarity when you see someone all the time. You're just like, do, yeah, like you said, you're just like, they're just those jam-packed fun visits where you try yeah. and get, like, so much stuff done in a weekend. Totally, and that's kind of how it was with him and Judy. And one thing that they really loved to do together was to play Clue. I read that, so and like, I thought it was amazing. Even though, yeah, even though he's, like, this super cool kid, he is totally game to just, like, halt his weekend and hang out with Judy and play a mad game of Clue. And didn't she say that um, he, like, never lost? Yeah, so the last time she saw him, so it was, like, October 5th, 2013, and she remembers it because it was just before her, like, 65th birthday and Christina's 18th birthday. Okay. And she said that, like, she remembers it vividly because he rarely lost, and she won that time. And it was like, was it because it was her birthday or did he really lose? And it was always just like this fun, funny memory that she had. Um, and yeah, she was like, it's my 65th birthday. I finally beat him at Clue. It was so good. Um, Judy lived near Kamloops and says that she kind of had yet to open up that Clue game again or even look at it, though, because being that she is far away from him and Nicholas and Kelly and the rest of the family, Christina, it's like extra difficult for her to think about it as well because those concentrated memories are so strong Yeah, that that clue game is the last thing she recalls with Jonathan and it's such a bittersweet memory. She loved the game and it was so fun. But now looking at that game, um, she just like can't even open it because she'll know she'll see the orange playing piece and that was his favorite. Oh. 
That's devastating. This poor yeah. family. Especially, yeah. like, having such a good idea of who more than likely committed this murder and just somehow not having enough pieces to put it together. It's just, it's so heartbreaking. Or them having enough power to avoid charges. Right. It yeah. could be either or in it, this case. is Because yeah. that was a could be both. strong element that was mentioned. The influence and the power that this family had or the money they had definitely played into his grandma's having reason to believe that Dowd was being let go or overlooked or maybe certain evidence wasn't being tested. Right. Who knows? But there's reason to believe that something was overlooked or put aside to avoid charges presently. Well, that's unacceptable. Yeah. It is, um, unfortunately, Judy was going away on a trip to the Dominican Republic after that for her birthday. Just before she left, she saw Jonathan with his friends walking by the post office, and he waved at her and smiled. And when she arrived home from her trip, she was told the news that Jonathan had passed away, had been brutally attacked, and that Fort St. John police are still to this day gathering information. And it's we been, what, like 10 years almost? 2013, yeah, so, yep. Yeah, so it'll be 10 years in the summer that this has gone unsolved. Which is, mm-hmm. like, it seems outrageous to me. We cover a lot of unsolved cases that I'm like, yeah, I have no idea. But this one makes so much sense and no sense all at the same time. Agreed. Like, all the pieces fit, and the crime itself, like, the timeline makes sense. Yeah. But, oh, it reminds me not? of that episode of New Girl, where, um, shoot, what's his name? He's really bad at doing puzzles. It's like, all the pieces are there, they all fit together, he's just, like, putting them together wrong. Winston? Yes. That's Coach? What, that's what Nick? The, no, it was Winston. That's what this reminds mm-hmm. me of. It's like, all the pieces are there, yeah. they all fit. He, you're just really bad at puzzles. Mm-hmm. Let's hope that in changing law enforcement, people in power and city council over the years, that we see a change in this. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone finally decides to say, screw it. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to be scared of this. Yeah. If you or anyone you know has information about this and you want to get that information to authorities, you can reach out directly to the Fort St. John police. Um Otherwise, you can reach out via bccrimestoppers.com, 1-800-222-8477. If you want to submit anonymous tips, go through Crime Stoppers. If you're okay with being potentially on the record and giving your information, reach out to police. And if you are comfortable with that, do it. There's more value in it. Should this go to trial, it may be necessary that they can reach out to you for further information and follow up. I'm going to give a third option because I've seen a lot of um, victims' family members speak about this lately. This case specifically does have a Facebook page. And if you feel like you are giving information to the police and it's not being taken seriously, go Mm -hmm. directly to that Facebook page and find, is it his mom that runs the page? It's a family member. His grandma. And literally message the family directly. Um, I had a few messages after we covered the Highway of Tears cases saying, like, thank you so much for covering the case and, like, for giving the resources for people to report. 
but we've had a really hard time with the Project EPANA officers, and sometimes we just don't mm-hmm. feel like they're taking the information seriously. And if you could also let people know to reach out directly to family members, that's really helpful. Um, so I'm just going to reiterate that information. If you happen, if no, there's a Facebook great. page for a case um, and you you have information and you feel like law enforcement's not taking it seriously, um, you can just contact the the family directly and they are almost always happy to take those tips yeah they may also say like send it to the like they might be able to give you like the officer working it who they're in contact with with a case number and say email the information and cc us yeah let's all work together like they could just want something specific that's a great point yeah and then at least they know too because we've you know we've had it enough times where Mm -hmm. you know family members aren't really given enough information or the communication i'm not trying to shit on the police right now because we talk lots about how the police does great work as well and they are also incredibly overworked and understaffed just like everyone else in this country um so yes you know they don't always have the resources to action those tips as fast as you might like them to and so the the family members is always a really good option so that at least they're in the know they're in the loop um, Agreed. So yeah, that's that's just one I wanted to share, perhaps just from some comments that we've received in the last like month or so. Definitely, and I think it's easy for us to do it accidentally when we're researching from articles specifically, where the common denominator at the end of the articles is to reach out to these same resources over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I think we fear traumatizing families yeah. or bothering them, but it's a good reminder that. They deserve to be kept in the know and kept in the loop. So, and a lot of these do family members sure. are the ones that are champion championing these cases and keeping them mm-hmm. in the spotlight. Like so many, I've just been researching a lot of unsolved cases lately, and that the theme over and over and over again is like we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Moms specifically keeping <laughs> these cases alive. Grandmas, sisters, brothers, yeah. like these immediate family members are the ones who are making sure that these cases, like these people's names stay relevant. Um, relevant. So yeah. Well, they care the most. Let's put it that way. They care the most note. about the case. Yeah. On a positive note, Christina seems to be living a very successful life. She's living happily from what I hear or what I read, I should say. And she has really committed to living her life to the fullest and doing the things that her and Jonathan set out to do together as adults throughout their life, all the things they talked about. Um, So that's a really positive note on this case and that I really do wish their family all the best. This one, just, it makes me so sad. I really Not hope for a resolution for their family as well. I just think. Like it's a child and a twin and his family needs answers. And, and it's you solvable. have the information. It's solvable. Well, and that's, that's really the kicker is like, I'm sad for the family because the answers are there, like you said, and someone needs to just put this puzzle together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's it for me. You did an excellent job covering that case. I could definitely not have done that one better. Um, there's Thanks. no way. So you did incredible. I did. I know that we're kind of like tapped out for time. Um, yeah. But I did kind of want to bring another unsolved case to everyone's attention that we have already kind of had a conversation about on the show. It's a local missing woman, Amber Manthorn. Um 
I did just want to give a not a shout out but I wanted to acknowledge that it has now been over six months that Amber has been missing um, from anywhere between Port Alberni to Nanaimo BC Mm -hmm. which is local to us and yeah she's still very much missing there's still been really no updates Um, she's 40 years old she went missing on July 7th and her 2021 Jeep Compass was found on July 10th, uh, more than 100 kilometers from her home in like a gravel pit west of Cassidy, which is south Nanaimo. It's like a, a, Such a, a logging area road. for it to have been found. Um, but she. Like where the airport is. Yeah, and she's from Great Central Lake, which is in Port Alberni. Um, and of course, as we know, I don't actually even remember what episode it was that we covered that on, but we know that she was going up to meet, meet up with her ex-boyfriend um and then from there on we don't know what happened to her so i just wanted to keep that case also in the forefront of everyone's mind that she is still very much missing and her family and her friends are are still very much championing her case there's a facebook page as well for her um and if you know anything about her disappearance and where she might be the port alberni rcmp can be reached at one two five zero seven two three two four two four um there is also like a gofundme to help her mom with legal costs and other things like that posters um just really keeping the case active uh, Amber's five foot two, 120 pounds. She has long blonde hair and blue eyes. And like I said, she was thought to have been going to meet up with her ex-boyfriend. Um, and then she literally just disappeared. Her car being found like over a hundred kilometers away. Um, you can also contact the RCMP by email. They are still using the email address finding Amber Manthorn at outlook.com. If you want to contact them there, um, there have been like massive searches conducted for yeah. either Amber, of course, it, like we would love to find her alive, but or her remains. Um, They've definitely branched out to places where you'd only find remains because like the a, search parties are being realistic and are trying their best. I mean, they have conducted like huge scale searches um, and nothing. Yeah. No, she hasn't been found so i did just want to kind of reignite that on the show because we had talked about it before and there's been absolutely nothing since then um you know same with lots of other unsolved cases that we've talked about on the show but that one's really local to us and i still see her missing poster all over the place i live quite close to port alberni so her missing posters are like literally up when I go to the gym I I drive by them every day and I'm really sad that you know there's been no movement whatsoever in finding her so I'm glad you gave an update though because I don't see the posters here much or billboards and I saw one the other day and it wasn't a case that I was like I really need to get myself an update on that yeah I feel like because there are a lot of people and I used to be one of them that go out just kind of like four by fouring or driving around those logging roads out that direction like it's kind of just like a pastime for people that live here to go out near vehicle and bomb around dirt dirt roads um and I would be interested to know if those posters are like actually up in the Timberlands logging road areas or if they're only allowed to be on like the main roads because lots of people are back there all the time and I think it would be really smart to have those posters up 
so that people who are out four by fouring or doing whatever they're doing, they're going out to have a fire for that to kind of be like really on their mind. Um, yeah, it's a that's a really sad one. I mean, again, we cover so many sad. They're all sad. Um, they're all sad. But when it's yeah. this close to home, again, I drive by her posters every day. They're up at gas stations when I go to them. Um, and it's just a constant reminder that, you know, she still has not been found. There hasn't been a trace. We have no information. Unless the police know more um, and just aren't, aren't saying anything until, like, there's enough information to really have movement on the case, which we also see happen. But it just feels yeah. like a long time. And uh, I'm rambling hmm. now. So It is. Yeah. Let's wrap this up. Yeah. Not that it's not important, but I agree. We need to... Get some of those posters out on those back roads where the parties, the search parties are. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, because, again, a lot of people use them in this area. It's not like those roads are just, like, not used. Like, people, anytime those are gates people are open, that... people are out. Well, yeah, and everybody I go four-wheeling with is a trades worker who works crazy long hours, probably isn't paying attention to, like then like they'll even say like I don't have time to watch TV I don't watch the news that much I don't know really what's going on all the time and so having those little posters out there so when they are out in that time relaxing yeah it's still a something to see and remind you to look yeah well thank you so much for listening to today's episode we can't wait to talk to you again next week uh, as a reminder you can Leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you liked what you heard today. And it really helps our traction, if you will. Uh, And you can follow us for all your case updates and case posts, photos, etc. At Podcast by Proxy on Instagram. And we out. Bye. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fuck me.